Welcome to the Emily Road Show, episode number 141. My name is John Morgan. Cold Coffee cannot be with me this week, unfortunately. He is back home in Las Vegas, still putting in that work. You know how he does. Me, I'm in Fresno, California, here for UFC Fight Night 123. Swanson versus Ortega, a fantastic fight that we will certainly be talking about shortly because that is a fight that has been flying under the radar and uh, so many big fights on the horizon, so many big fights that have been happening. Man, this one just kind of slipped underneath the radar, even my own. But ever since I got here on Wednesday, I've been pumped up for this fight and a couple other fights that are happening as well. So, listen, I'm here at the uh, Host Hotel in Fresno. That's the uh, the Double Tree by Hilton down by the Conference Center in downtown Fresno, California. And, man, do we have some news to talk about. We will get to UFC Fight Night 123. But first, must say, of course, this episode is brought to you by the fine folks at Freshly, the great partners there, as well as our new friends at SeatGeek. And, man, let's just get to the news right away. GSP has vacated the UFC middleweight title. Can you believe it? Well, of course you can because you saw the writing on the wall. We all knew this was going to happen, right? Crazy. You know UFC President Dana White is steaming right now. And I've heard he might be here on Saturday night. I've heard he's supposed to be making the trip to Fresno. It would make sense. It's a short flight up from Vegas, especially when you have the luxury of flying uh, private travel. So I think he's supposed to be here on Saturday night, unless he's in such a bad mood that things have changed. So we'll, I guess, see how that shakes out on Saturday night. But you know he's got to be upset about this development. But I tell you what, I feel like the UFC played a big part in doing this to themselves. I really do, man. I feel like, and this is still fresh to me too, man. Really, you know, I put in a day of work here in Fresno, took a break for dinner, actually hit up the, the boys at MMA Junkie, and I was like, listen, I got I got to take a little bit of time off. I'm going to go get some food, hooked up with a couple of friends here, went and grabbed some Mexican food, uh, you know, fine stuff. And I was like, then I'm going to come back. I'll do a little bit more work. I'll record the podcast. And that's when all the news broke. You know, I'd heard behind the scenes, just like everybody else, that Whitaker versus Rockhold was being arranged. I didn't hear that it was fully completed yet, but that, that was in the works. And then the news breaks that George St. Pierre has indeed vacated his title. They're going to do that. And not only uh, is it for the interim title that Whitaker holds, no, it's now going to be for the undisputed title, which Robert Whitaker, of course, is now the undisputed champion. Just a bizarre situation, and I'm still reeling from the whole thing, even though you saw it all coming. How many times have we said there's no way George St. Pierre is going to get in there and defend that middleweight title? He doesn't want any piece of Robert Whitaker. He doesn't want any piece of Luke Rockhold. He doesn't want any piece of Yoel Romero. I mean, and I'm not saying this as a criticism of George St. Pierre. We said all along, it's the reason I picked Michael Bisping going into that fight. The size difference of George St. Pierre, who to me could make lightweight if he really, really, really wanted to. His own coach, Farah Sahabi, said it, that he could be a lightweight if he wanted to. Instead, he chose to be a welterweight, and then he chose to be a middleweight. But he chose to be a middleweight because he was cherry-picking. We said it all along. That's the truth. I'm sorry. George St. Pierre thought Michael Bisping was the easiest possible fight in the middleweight division, and Michael Bisping thought George St. Pierre was the easiest fight in the middleweight division. There's, I don't, I don't believe that's being insulting to say that. And to be honest with you, I think it's completely accurate. When you take those other names up there, the Whitakers, the Romeros, the Jacarés, all those names up there, yeah, you're right. For each person involved, that was the easiest fight. 
And I don't blame anybody for putting it together. I really don't. Michael Bisping deserved to get his payday. George St. Pierre, one of the greatest of all time, wanted to come back and test himself again. He did so. Probably made a nice little bit of money in the time. The UFC cashed in on it as well. But I just feel like this was always going to be the end game. And that makes me feel bad because I know that there's medical conditions involved and, uh, you know, kind of weird how it all came out where Dana White at the at the tough finale the other night was like, oh, yeah, well, everybody knows he has colitis, right? Like, no. no it, nobody knows that he has colitis. Uh, so a little bit bizarre, but I just felt like this was the obvious outcome. This was always going to happen. Maybe not necessarily in this way. But this was always going to happen, and it just makes the whole thing frustrating to me. Very, very frustrating. I, I guess, you know, on the bright side, it, it, kudos in some ways to George St. Pierre for saying, you know what, I'm giving up this title. He didn't He didn't stretch it out. You know, we're talking about a month, right? We're not talking about six months later. We're not talking about, you know, 13 months later like we are in some divisions with, with titles right now. We're talking about 30 days. So if there's a classy move on George St. Pierre's, uh, you know, part, that's it right there. He said, "I'm, I, I'm out. Go ahead and make things happen and, and and get them done." And listen, crowning Whitaker the champion, you know, had Michael Bisping retired, or you know, let's say Michael Bisping had won and and say, you know, hey, I beat George St. Pierre. I've now beat George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva. There's nothing left for me to accomplish. I'm out of the sport. The right thing to do would have been to give the title to Robert Whitaker. So, I don't really have a problem with how this whole thing ends up. Robert Whitaker deserves to be the world champion. There's no question about it. He deserves to be the UFC title holder. I just feel like this whole situation has been weird from the start. And and if George St. Pierre says that he intended to defend the title and, and this is sickness, then I guess we have no choice to believe him, right? I mean, the guy's been nothing but classy and a champion from day one so with with his reputation in sport we have to listen to what he says right we have to take him at face value but I just don't know man I just don't know I, I, I just I feel like the intention was always to come in here and be one and done and that's fine but just don't tell us that's not along the way just say I'm I, I'm coming in one and done and if I get this title I'm walking away, and, and I feel like he just kind of gained the system a little bit so that he could get the title. For Dana White to say, no, we actually put language in the contract, I'm sure the UFC thought we can't allow this to happen, and now it's happened anyway. It's weird how you can feel like something is justified, right? Like it's okay, like it's not the worst situation ever, and still not like how you got there. I just feel a little bit bizarre and frustrated about the whole thing, but I guess it means we'll start 2018 with a clean slate at middleweight. All the craziness that has been going on ever since the UFC 199 upset Michael Bisping over Luke Rockhold. You know, now that's all in the past, and now we get a clean slate, and we have a very deserving champion in Robert Whitaker. Man, that guy, holy cow. I, I will... Every time he stepped into the cage at middleweight, I was like, this is too much, man. He needs to move back at welterweight. This is uh, this is too much for him. Now he's bitten off more than he could chew. You know, Clint Hester, cool. Brad Tavares, all right. 
Uriah Hall? Javier Natal? Derek Brunson? Jacare? Romero? Oh, God, thank God that's the last one. I can't go any higher than that. Yoel Romero? I mean, come on. The streak that this guy's on? Absolutely. Now, the question for me is Luke Rockhold the rightful guy to be in here? I think from a marketing perspective, he definitely is. He definitely, definitely is, right? Luke Rockhold, former champ, former strike force champ, you know, good-looking cat on top of that, has, uh, you know, fought around the world, including Australia, beat Bisping down there. They know the name. It's a pay-per-view market down there in Australia. So they've been, you know, they've been seeing him on pay-per-view. From a marketing perspective, I think it's definitely the right. But I, I, you know what? I hear where Kelvin Gastelum's coming from. I hear where Kelvin Gastelum is coming from. Saying, listen, I just beat Bisping. You know, yes, I lost to Y, but I just beat Vitor. Yeah, come on, I smoked a little weed, but let's, say, let's let that go. Tim Kennedy, Johnny Hendricks. You know, I stayed busy. Luke Rockhold hasn't been as busy. He's beaten David Branch. I can understand Kelvin Gaslam's argument. I really can. And I like the fact that he's being vocal about it. I'm torn. I, I feel like in some ways, if we're looking on merit alone, maybe Kelvin is the right pick right now. The hot hand. The guy that's been busy. But Luke Rockhold's still the bigger name right now. But good Lord, what a shakeup we had. Thursday night, sitting down to record the MMA Roadshow. And what a shakeup we have in the middleweight division. Speaking of shakeups. You know what you need to shake up. That's your dining life. You ain't got time to cook. You're like me. You ain't got time. You may know how to. Heck, I even enjoy it. But I am loving Freshly.com. If you've been listening to the Road Show, you know that these are great partners. Myself and Cold Coffee are big fans of it. It's a f- weekly prepared meal service that delivers fresh, never-frozen food cooked by chefs straight to your door. Skip the grocery shopping. Nobody likes that. No meal prepping, no cooking, no dishes to clean, no nothing. You just pop these little chef-cooked meals right in the microwave. And again, fresh, never frozen, made with all natural ingredients. Three minutes, heat it up, done. You eat it, throw it away, clean, done. Just like that. And right now they're putting on the best deal they've ever done. You hear them advertising everywhere. If you listen to podcasts like I do, and I do, I listen to a lot of MMA podcasts. They're advertising everywhere. But you know what? They deserve to. Solid, solid, solid. My wife's loving it. I love it. Jump on it. Fully cooked, prepared meals, ready in three minutes. 100% all natural, no artificial flavors, preserved. There's no refined sugars, no gluten. It's perfect. So what you do, if you want to try it, and you should, I'm telling you, go to Freshly.com today. Get $40 off your first two deliveries. All you got to do is just log in, choose what you want, type in the code ROADSHOW, all one word. You'll get $20 off your first two orders. That's six meals for 39 bucks each week for two weeks. It's worth it. I'm telling you, do it. Enough said. Support our people at Fresh.com. Those are good people. And speaking of support, you know what I'm supporting right now? Holy cow. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I was so exhausted. I didn't even realize how tired I was um, after the UFC 218 and uh, Ultimate Fighter finale weekend. I was just worn out, man. I really was. And it caught up to me. And, you know, I think back to – to that post-fight show, trying to wrap up two cards at one night, and I realized, man, I was done. Done, done, done. So if I was low energy and you thought I sucked, I don't blame you. 
I don't blame you. I was exhausted, but it was great. I had to work a couple of hours on Sunday, and then Monday and Tuesday, I really just slept, man. It all, it all caught up to me, man. It was it was Poland, Brazil, New York, uh, Sydney, and Shanghai all within like six weeks or whatever. And man, to be honest with you, I was just done. Uh, so yeah, if if you listened to the and a half episode last week and you thought, John, you sucked. Hey, I'll accept that from you. I will accept that from you, and I will apologize. How about that? <laughs> but once I had a chance to sleep and recover a little bit, uh, I, I have been thinking about this Francis Ngannou Stipe Miocic fight so much. And you know what? Everywhere I've been in Fresno, been running into fans, talking to people at some of the events, hell, even talking to other fighters and camps. That's all anybody is talking about right now. And I am pumped up about this fight. I am pumped up about this fight, and I'm so glad that it's happening so early in the year. We're not going to have to wait, you know, months and months and months or until the summertime or whatever. We're getting this fight done. And I am so pumped about it, man. Uh, Francis Ngannou is an absolute monster. But the thing is, I don't think he's the better fighter here. I don't think he's the more well-rounded fighter. You know, I think that the better fighter, of course, is Steve Miocic, the guy that has the experience of fighting on the big stage, the guy that does have the wrestling component to his game as well, the guy that, you know, has shown more wrinkles in his game, so to speak, I think would definitely be Stipe. But Francis Ngannou, man, if he touches you once, you're done. You're done. You could fight 24 and a half minutes of a perfect fight, and then he he clocks you with one shot. Now, of course, now you're fractured in cardio, and uh, you know how much how how much does his power trail off? And and I get it, man. I mean, you could go into that, but seriously, that's what it boils down to. I mean, yes, everybody in the heavyweight division has power, but Francis Ngannou has power. Totally different. It's it's unbelievable stuff. And uh, I, I am I am so hyped for this fight. It's funny because I was I was uh, I was at Extreme Couture the other night um, taking my kid to practice, and again people wanted to to talk about it there. And it was funny. The first thing that came to mind it was weird that that this was the fight that came to my mind because stylistically it's totally different. But I do think there's some relevance there. Is Randy Couture and Brock Lesnar, right? Like when Randy Couture and Brock Lesnar fought, Randy was the better fighter. No, hands down, right? He's got more experience. He's more savvy. He he understands you know more aspects of the game, but Brock's power and his strength, you know, it was one of those things where if you get touched once, if you get clipped, I mean, this is a much bigger man. Now, there's not the size disparity, but I think the power disparity is there, and it kind of goes with that size. So, I, I, in a weird way, that's that's what this kind of reminds me of. One guy, to me, is probably the better fighter. But Francis Ngannou is just a freak. And I'll tell you the other thing that's odd about this is for, from Steve Bay's perspective, I got to think this is the time you want to fight Francis Ngannou, right? I mean, Francis Ngannou just seems to be getting better. Now that he's living in Las Vegas, living in the Performance Institute, soaking up things like a sponge. Man, you saw that that clip. How amazing was that that Fernand Lopez, uh, his, his coach, uh, you know, that kind of turned him on to MMA in France, posted that, co- uh, that that little clip of him coaching him where they're outside on the grass of the apartment complex and they're working on the combination, you know, just a couple weeks before the fight, the exact combination that fell Alistair Overeem. Amazing. Amazing. I am so looking forward to this fight. I'd say the other thing that popped into my head about this was uh, just a, a weird little trivia note. And I think I've said this before, but uh, Joe Silva, when we were doing a – if you're a long-time listener, you probably heard this, but it's not something we talk about a lot. Um, but, you know, Francis Ngannou is somebody that at the Roadshow we've we've been fans of for a long time. We had a couple interviews with him along the way. 
um, you know, met him very early on in his career. Thanks to Fernand Lopez, who was um, kind enough to introduce us and, and, and tell us, hey, I've, I've got the guy. And uh, we, we very much agreed uh, that, yes, your guy does very much look like the guy. Um, but, you know, I was doing a story on him where, where we started to tell that story. This was a long time ago. Well, you know, I had to say a long time ago, probably a year, year and a half ago. Um, you know, that kind of touched on the story. I know there's been a lot of stories done since about his backstory, uh, Francis Nagano's, and, and they've gone into much further depth than, than I did. Um, but, you know, just kind of starting to tell that tale of how he ended up in France and where he came from and, you know, how he's homeless for a while. And, and, and it was the first time the story had been told to, to, to the media, which was awesome. And I felt honored that, that we were able to, uh, to tell it. But I wanted to follow up a little bit more and, and just see uh, – and ask Joe Silva. You know, Joe, I know you can't go on, on record very often, um, but can you tell me where you first remember having Francis Nagano on your radar? And Joe said, yeah, you know, what's funny is the one guy that beat him, the one guy that beat him, that guy's manager sent me the tape. Zumama Cisse, I believe, is the gentleman's name, a, a Frenchman who's – you know, 13 and two doesn't have the worst record ever. Uh, and and Joe Silva said that guy sent me the tape, and I watched the fight, and I'm like, Nah, I like Ngannou. <laughs> That's the guy I got my eye on. So I thought that was a funny little trivial tidbit of information. So, uh, yeah, I'm telling you what, man, I'm stoked about this fight. L- literally been 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 brewing in my brain for the last couple of days. I know we've got other big fights. But, man, ever since I got a little bit of sleep and I was able to, to clear my head and clear my body a little bit, man, I am effing pumped for this fight. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Uh, last thing before we get to uh, UFC Fight Night 123, I'm sure you guys saw the news of all the the, uh, the Russians getting banned from the Olympics. Uh, I just want to take two seconds to remind you, if you haven't seen it, go see Icarus. I'm telling you. Uh, I, I was late to the game, too. I only watched it a couple weeks ago. I watched it on this last little international swing. It's on Netflix. It's a documentary, and it's amazing. And it's it's it, it's not – it starts out as a documentary about um, bicycle racing and doping, and it ends up being a huge kind of expose on the, uh, the Russian Olympic Federation and, and how they were doing all this stuff. It's crazy. If If – if it wasn't a documentary, if it was a scripted program, I'm telling you, you would not believe it. You would say that this is uh, this is garbage. And, uh, man, absolutely amazing. Go watch it. It's worth your time. Get it, get it, get it. And that's all I'll say about that. All right, let's get into UFC Fight Night 123. Cub Swanson versus Brian Ortega. Huge fight in the featherweight division. And uh, like I said, I you know wasn't thinking about this a whole lot. There's been so many big fights on the horizon that it just really wasn't on my radar. But now that I'm here, man, I cannot wait for it. Cub Swanson, the longtime veteran of the game, dating back to the WEC era, um, a longtime friend of MMA junkie, should say, all dating all the way back to Tag Radio, man, uh, Trigging Gorgeous George before they were ever. Uh, MMA Junkie Radio, they actually sponsored him uh, at one point in time. So, uh, you know, just some long, long ties to the MMA Junkie family. Um, but a big fight for him. You know, his last fight on his contract, he's on a four-fight winning streak. Four decisions in a row, but, you know, a couple of fight of the night, a fight of the year, uh, at least candidate at the very worst with Duho Choi. Um, some very, you know, big fights that he's been involved a part of. Uh, but he wants that title shot. He's he wants that title shots, and, and it's it has evaded him 
thus far. Meanwhile, you got Brian Ortega, the 26-year-old kid um, that looks like the real deal. He looks like the real deal. Dominant, absolutely incredible jiu-jitsu. Just, I mean, you do not want to be in his guard under any circumstances. You know, and I asked Cub Swanson about that. Like, hey, is this a fight where you make sure? I know I, I know that your, your jiu-jitsu solid, but do you make sure you stay out of there? And he said, nah, I mean, I don't know. It's, you know, I've been grappling a lot. I'm feeling good. Like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. So, uh, I, I love this. Um, you know, the veteran of the game. You know, 34 years old, Cub Swanson still feels like he's got plenty left to offer. He says, listen, I've been going with, uh, you know, younger guys in the gym, and I think that's a big key to, to keep yourself fresh and to, and to evaluate yourself and to, uh, you know, to see where you stand. And, and I'm, I'm telling you right now, uh, you know, I'm I'm right there with him. I haven't lost a step. Meanwhile, Ortega, man, the kid just seems to get better and better. Finds a way to win. Four third-round stoppages in a row. He's been in trouble in some of those fights, man. He's been touched. It's not like he's just mowing through people. He's been in some some situations. And listen, he's been in some five-round fights. He, he, you know, a couple times uh, both, you know, at, at RFA and on the regional circuit, he's been five rounds. Um, so this is not necessarily new territory, but going five rounds with a fighter of the quality of Cub Swanson certainly will be uh, a big one for him. So, uh, really been enjoying this week. Uh, spent a lot of time around Brian Ortega here at the Fresno, a small town. You know, it's not not a, not a whole lot going on. So it's it's kind of one of those situations, almost like for, foreign events are sometimes, where where everybody's really just kind of hangs around the same area because we're downtown. If if you've been to downtown Fresno, there's not a lot here. The restaurants close early. Uh, there's just not a whole bunch of stuff for people to venture out in, in different directions. So it's one of those events where, you, you know, you walk to a local restaurant and there's only a handful of selections, or you end up just chilling in the in, in the bar uh, restaurant down here, which is in the courtyard of this double tree. And so you end up kind of just running into the same people over and over. And I, I like those shows. I'll be honest with you. I, I really do. You know, the big pay-per-views, yeah, man, who doesn't want to be at Madison Square Garden? And, you know, who doesn't want to be at the big fight? Of course but I love these small shows too because you really do get a chance to speak with more people's camps and speak with more fighters kind of without a camera in their face and, and, and they're a little bit more candid at times. Um, and you just get an opportunity to experience them a little bit more. So sometimes these 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 smaller cards are a little more fun. Uh, first time for the USC in Fresno. I'd been to uh, some Strike Force events here at the Save March Center, um, but it's been a while. And I, it's it's been a while since I've been here. Um this event, I think a lot of people, this one stood out to people. Why the hell did they go to Fresno? Um, this was a secondary uh, market, I guess you'd say. This 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 event was originally supposed to take place in South America. Um, this was supposed to be, uh, they were targeting a couple different places outside of Brazil, if you remember. This was, this was going to be kind of the first foray outside of Brazil in South America. But ultimately they decided um, it didn't make sense just due to kind of the TV deals and some other situations that are going there. It didn't make sense. So that's how this ended up uh, in Fresno. Uh, kind of funny, you know, so, so basically you're trying to find some arenas that, that make sense that are available on relatively short notice. I mean, the UFC likes to build their schedule out well in advance. It's kind of funny because talking to Liz Carmouche earlier in the week, she was saying that when they first approached her about being on this, you know, they said, well, uh, what do you think about maybe fighting uh, in Argentina? 
And she was like, yeah, man, that sounds all right to me. <laughs> and then and then they were like, well, it's not going to be Argentina. It's going to be Fresno. So she's like, well, what is it on Argentina Street? Like, what was <laughs> what, what was the trick in there? But uh, I, I like this. I, I like this card, um, especially at the top. There's a couple fights we'll get into. But I love this main event. Big one at featherweight. I think real title implications, to be honest with you. I mean, Max Holloway. Sounds like a guy that wants to stay busy. Sounds like a guy that will fight anybody in the division. Uh, you know, so long as it makes sense. Um, listen, Ortega said that his name was brought up. You know, he tweeted along the way, uh, you know, as, as as they were looking for a rematch or a replacement, I should say, for Frankie Yeager. Uh, you know, he tweeted, hey, don't look any further. I'm the only undefe- undefeated guy in the division. Face me. And he said to me this week, he's like, listen, my name was in there. You know, um, I was one of the options on the table, but ultimately – uh, Max Holloway decided to go with Jose Aldo. You know, Max Holloway in the UFC, I should say, decided to go with Jose Aldo. And that made a lot of sense, you know, from a marketing perspective. You need a main event of a pay-per-view. You know, Ortega's probably not that guy just yet. But you know what? He he picks up a big win here, and he might start being that guy. But I think there's real title implications. Now, I still say Frankie Edgar's the number one contender. To me, that's the guy. You know, he's 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 a legend of the sport. He's a former champion. He was the clear number one contender. To me, Frankie Edgar is the guy. Uh, but you know, he he does have uh, this you know broken orbital. Now he's here. He's he's in town. Uh, I think he's made it already. He's here to corner Marlon Marias. I haven't seen him yet. Uh, I just did hear that he was here. Love to talk to him because we want to understand. You know, he thinks about another month or so and he can be ready. But good lord, broken orbital. That doesn't seem like something you want to rush through and I mean Max Holloway says he wants some time off anyway he's got some family birthdays coming up so you know maybe March in Vegas or something like that Holloway versus Edgar um you know I think that's the fight to make if Edgar's healthy if he's 100% healthy and this uh you know broken orbital isn't an issue because man you don't want to be going in there against Max Holloway with a slightly damaged orbital just waiting for him to piece you up you know, Ricardo Lamas is still in the mix as well, certainly. I mean, poor guy's campaign took a hit. You know, he's he's now facing Josh Emmett next week. Uh, you know, no offense to Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett's a tough, tough dude. But, you know, beating Josh Emmett is not going to get Ricardo Lamas a title shot. So, props to Ricardo Lamas for staying in there. You know, he was supposed to be fighting Jose Aldo, which is the kind of fight that could have maybe gotten him noticed. So, there is implications here. I think both Swanson and Ortega can make cases. Now, they're going to need help to get in. They're definitely going to need help to get in, but they can make cases. So, uh, listen, uh, Brian Ortega is is an interesting character. California through and through. There might not be a more SoCal fighter on the roster than Brian Ortega. Uh, It's hilarious, man. I was actually talking to him earlier. He was waiting to to start his weight cut. He still – he had a handful of pounds left to go. I won't reveal the exact number he gave me. But, um, you know, he was just kind of hanging out, chilling. And uh, he had his whole crew with him down in the lobby, and they were playing dominoes and, and playing spades or whatever. And, uh, you know, he traveled with his own dominoes. I'm like, man, this must be your – is this kind of your thing? Like, you, you, don't, you don't play video games or anything like that? He's like, dude, I've never owned a video game console in my entire life. You know, he's like, so this is what I do to pass a little time. And he was just trying to kill some time and relax and feel good until he started that hard weight cut. Uh, that, to be honest with you, has been problematic before him in the past. Uh, he's had some issues. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Now, we are in California. Remember, this is the state that does have the new 10-point system of how they monitor everything. And uh, that did cause an issue. Uh, if you didn't see the headline, it wasn't a, a huge, huge fight. But Carlos John de Tomas and Alex Perez, a flyweight fight, it was ultimately determined that Carlos John de Tomas 
uh, was too heavy to start his weight cut. Uh, it, it was it would be unsafe for him to try to cut the flyweight. And so the California State Athletic Commission and the UFC worked together and changed it, made it a bantamweight fight. So they're monitoring the weights of everybody. They're keeping it on everybody. So it, it seems like you know they've approved Brian Ortega to at least make this cut. And of course, uh, that that weigh-in will start early in the morning. So by the time you listen to this, it, it may already be a thing of the past. But just something to think about uh, if you are you know listening early and then getting ready for the weigh-ins. You know California is going to keep a very very close eye on things. But I. Um, had a chance to speak to Brian Ortega this week at a, at a more in-depth uh, level than I ever have before and really enjoyed it. We had a sit-down on Wednesday and um, talked about, you know, a number of things, including the accent that he had. You know, I, it's not a story that hasn't been told before, but it may be one that you didn't pay attention to. Uh, the guy nearly died uh, surfing, and yet he continues to surf, which I found to be crazy. Uh, but he explains a little bit of that. He explains what happened. He doesn't really like talking about it. And I tell you what's crazy is that, um, you know, he, he told the story to a degree in our interview. And then we turned the cameras off and just kind of kept talking a little bit. And, um, man, he, he told the story even more so off camera about um, how he really felt. And I've, and I've actually heard him tell it to a couple people this week since we've spoken. It's been on a couple different interviews. And, and he always kind of tells it a little bit different and he tells it a little bit more or less in depth I think depending on how he's feeling he actually said that you know his his goal was to you know when it originally happened was to never tell a soul um he didn't want anybody to know he, he didn't want anybody to know what had happened and um the story did get out I think he told a reporter in the SoCal area and they ran a story and of course now it's it's online it's a part of his history it's a part of who he is and it's, a, it's an incredible story but the thing that he said off record so to speak or just you know off camera was that you know there was a moment where he just accepted that death was imminent that you know he he was at peace with the fact that he was going to die um and the, the one that struck me obviously for anybody that knows me uh man my, my kid means the world to me but you know he has a he has a, a child as well and he said he could picture his kid's face you know as like this kind of calmness came over his body he could picture his kid's face and he felt that was his moment that at least he got to say goodbye and I'm like holy shit I'm like trying not to cry right now thinking about it man it was it was crazy man so this guy went through this experience and uh man he he, he has had a story so uh had a chance to sit down and talk to Brian Ortega and I wanted to share that with you because probably not somebody you've heard a lot of in-depth interviews with. I know I, I certainly hadn't, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. And ahead of the biggest fight of his life to date, here is Brian Ortega. All right, well, first UFC main event. Man, I got to think it's exciting, but what's what's the feeling like a few days out? I feel good, man. I feel good. I uh, it, I feel like it's a normal fight, you know. I actually, it's a good thing and bad thing, I don't know, you know. Like, uh, I've never been this calm in a fight. And it's the biggest fight of my career, you know. So, uh, I mean, I feel great, you know. The the energy with with my friends and my team is amazing, and uh, we're just gonna go in there and, and just do what we do, you know. A lot of uh, added responsibility in the in the lead up, right? The extra interviews, extra media, things like this. Yeah, like, man, I, I, I've been up since eight in the morning doing media, and then it's you know it's. Uh, then we're about to palm pilot. <laughs> it's 3:20, you know, and now we're we're still we're still going at it, but it's cool, you know. Like, uh, you know, it's fun, you know. Everyone that that I've been doing interviews with, everything is fun, you know. Like fun questions, and I'm getting used to it. 
Singing around the place? Singing around the... Getting caught slipping. <laughs> you caught me slipping. Uh, too funny. We'll talk about... I mean, a lot of people are saying, you know, the question of, are you ready for this opportunity? You know what I mean? Is this a, a big moment? But I think many people probably don't know that you had a pretty extensive amateur career as well. I mean, I think, what, you were 12-0 and 0 as well? I did 11-0 in amateur. Um... But that was because Camel wasn't around, so it was all smokers, you know. So it wasn't on record, you know. But, uh, I mean, the fights were there. We have all the footage. We have all the tapes on it. And uh, I had some experience there. From 15 years old to uh, I think it was 18 years old, I did 11 amateur fights. And, uh, I mean, even some fights where they would raise my hand and the cops would raid the place and we'd have to run out. And, uh I mean, it, that was the best times, you know, as as in terms of my amateur career, right? That was like the best times where you're like, all right, hurry up and fight and get this W and we got to get out of here because we don't want to get busted. That's crazy. So but, when people uh, are worried like, hey, is he being rushed into this right now? I mean, you feel like, no, I've, I've been leading up to this. I've been leading up to this. I feel like I've, I mean, I've been proving myself, you know, and then I feel like you got to know where you're at. You know, and if you're scared of knowing where you're at, then you don't belong in here, you know. You you really got to test yourself against the best of the best. And I did climb up the ranks fast, you know. I, I Once I came back and I fought Tavares, everyone was like, whoa, who is this kid? Let's see him more. And then they did Brandown, and then people liked Brandown. And we fought Clay Guida, and then, you know, just the, the, the momentum kept going. And, and I started getting better, you know. Like, I started getting used to more more events, more media used to the fight career, right? Because UFC was new to me. And now it's like I just finished a fight, fight of the night with Hinata Moicano in, in Anaheim, you know, it was the biggest card of the year at that time. And and I just feel great. And I didn't ask for anything, you know. I've just been I, – they've given me an opponent. I picked the hardest name on the list. I train for it. I go in there. I, I do my best. And I always look for the kill. And then it's been happening, you know, in the third round, but it's been happening. <laughs> we'll definitely get to that. So that came to the name Cub Swanson. I mean, you said you, you got to test yourself against the best. So I got to, I mean, were you excited? Were you like, oh, man, am I ready? I mean, this guy's been around for a while. No, I mean, he's been around for a while, and I was, I, I, my face lit up. My face lit up. I remember specifically, I got the call. I just landed in Guam. So imagine, I just did a 13-and-a-half-hour flight to Philippines, then another four-hour flight or three-hour flight all the way to Guam, landed at 5 in the morning, jumped in the ocean, and then my manager calls me. He's like, hey, you're going to fight uh, Cub Swanson in, uh, you know, in December. That's, that's the talk right now. Are you ready? And my face lit up. I was, like, walking on the beach in this tropical forest, and I was like, Yes, I was like, let's do it. You know, it's like all my dreams were were coming true. You know, as in terms of when, when you think of fighter, you want to be main event. You want people to know your name. Um, you want to to make your stamp in the game. You know, and I feel this is this is a perfect test for me because it's like uh, I don't know if I follow boxing, but when you know when Canelo fought, you know, like all these all these people, like it was to prove where he's at. And then let's say worst comes to worst. It just it shows my weaknesses, you know. Let's say Saturday doesn't go well for me. I always said if I'm gonna lose, I wonder how. I'd rather know now than in the championship. I'm young. I feel like I'm very young. I feel like I just got started with my career. So it's like I need to find out now what's my weaknesses. That way they don't get exposed later on in the career, and I really get 
severely hurt. At least right now, I can bounce back from the injuries and get right back to work. Versus later, if I was maybe, you know, later of age and, and the time kicks in, then it's not going to be that easy. And plus, I'm setting my ways where I don't want to train differently. Right now, I'm like a big sponge, and I'm just absorbing everything. Very cool. Were you a fan of Cub at all? Did you guys ever cross paths? I know was a California guy as well. Um, I always seen the SoCal, and I, you know, but the, and I was like, where's this guy from? You know, but I was, I always watched him when I was before, you know, before I even started fighting, I think, uh, and even professionally. I was watching him fight, and uh, I liked his style, you know. I liked uh, that, that phrase he said, uh, that beautiful destruction. That was pretty dope. Um, and then I seen some of his fights after that, and, I mean, I, I've always been like that, and this guy's good. And now to to fight someone like that, it's like, it's pretty dope, you know. Like I, I know, I know from what I've seen in in the media, he's kind of I don't want feels disrespected by it, and uh, but it's not my fault, you know. I didn't I didn't say hey man I'm gonna fight, you know. I didn't choose you. I didn't do nothing. They gave me the call. I said yes, yeah. like I've always have, and and that's that, you know. This is I'm learning, but this is the fight game, right? This is the fight business. This is how it works, you know. And uh, I'm just I'm just excited to to have a huge task this big, you know, in front of me. And I wanna I want know, it's like, I wanna know, like, hey man, can we, can we get this? And I believe in it, and I've been training hard for it, and now I just have to do it now, on Saturday. And th this is gonna be the biggest test of my life. It's been a fast rise for you, but I think you've gained a lot of fans along the way because of your fighting style, man. It's exciting. You've been in some wars, but I do wonder, I mean, at some point- War Tega. <laughs> Do you worry, like, I mean, I can't keep holding out to the third round to get these things done. Like, I got to change things up. Or do you do you just, you know, ride with it and say, this is me? Believe me, if I could click a button and it says finish in the first, finish in the third, everyone would be finished in the first. But uh, I tried to explain earlier, I was like, we're in a game where these guys are the best of the world. It's not going to be that easy to figure out. These guys are here for a reason. These guys are, like, the guys I fought were veterans, undefeated, or, or guys who, like Tavares who had 15 fights in the game and I was barely on my second one. These are guys who have been around before me who have a lot, of, a lot of experience. I'm coming in as a fresh fighter. I'm still learning, and I'm trying to figure them out. And not only figure them out, I'm trying to beat them. I'm trying to finish the fight. I'm not here to score points. I'm here to finish. It takes a little bit more than... It takes a little time to do that, you know? Sometimes I wish it was like a street fight, no rules, and just let's go, and and I would probably do better. But, uh, you know, it's like, you know, with, given the rules that we have, three five-minute rounds and now five five-minute rounds, uh, you have to study them and you have to go to war with them. And then when you see the, the opportunity, believe me, I always, if I see an opportunity, I, I, I'm the first one to jump on it because it's the, it's a ticket home. I'm like, wait. That's, that's a ticket for the bell to ring, for me to go home, for this night to end, for the punches to stop landing on my face. And, uh, and that's it, you know? Like, I'm, I'm, trust me, I get excited when I can finish a fight earlier. You had a scare outside of the cage uh, on, your, on your rise up here as well. I wonder, I mean... Uh, I had a lot of scares, man. Surfing? I just surfed the other day, uh, the first winter swell. So for those of you who don't know, I uh, pretty much drowned surfing some big waves. And uh, it was during training camp. And it, that, at that point, it was crazy, you know, because it was, 
uh, one of my, one of my friends, um, it, it was just a crazy ride, you know, up to that fight because one of my friends committed suicide, and then after that, that that whole drowning situation happened. Then after that, someone, uh, you know, someone died in front of me, and uh, it was every single month I was trying to get over it through training and everything, but and then after that I fought. So it was like it was tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. And then like you're a superstar, you know. It was like it it was just a weird energy, man. I didn't know how to I didn't know how to take it. Um, after the fight, I balled out. I'm not gonna lie, you know. Like I, I was like uh, a lot of my teammates, you know, they were there with me. The, the whole walkout, I was, the walking out, I was crying. And then when I got to the to see the doctor, I was crying. And then uh, he was like, "Yo, why are you crying, man? Like uh, you won, you know? Like why you acting like you lost?" But I feel like that was, I finally let all that pressure out, you know, like the pressure valve that right when they shook my, like they, my hand got raised, I just let it go. I was like, I need to, I had so much things on my shoulders that I had to just, I had a break, you know, and I feel like we all have our times when we break and, uh, and that was one of them for me, you know, and I'm back surfing though, but. Why do you still get out on the water? You know, because man, trust me, man, it's not tempting fate is I just don't like being scared. Uh, I was actually mad at myself the other day because the first winter swell came up and they were like, you know, five to six feet, but it was, it just gave me flashbacks. And I jumped off the rocks and then I seen, I tried to go for a wave and I backed out when I seen the drop and I was like, what's going on? And all of a sudden my mom was like, no, and this was last week. So I was like, man, I have a big fight coming up. I don't want to get hurt. Uh, I am scared though. And and then I was out in the water with uh, Alan Larson, Michael Larson, James Larson. And I was out there and I told them, I was like, hey, I'm afraid. I'm not going to lie. I need to get in. And then they were, we, had, we were just arguing out in the water. They're like, get him in. He's going to have a... F it was just crazy. And like I, I went out there. I got scared again. I got like flashback. And it, I don't know why, but it wasn't as bad as the first time when I went surfing. It was like three times bigger than what that, it was that day. But... You know, like that mental thing is still there because it's not like fighting or it's not like anything else. You know, like the referee stops the fight and, and it's over with. You know, you're going to gain your consciousness and you're going to heal up and you're going to be alive. Versus the ocean, you go out there and it's what mood is she in? Does she want to hold you down there for a while or does she want to let you up? And really that means are you going to live or are you going to die? And I've been on the other side, you know, so it's, it, you know, it's like not knowing what's going to happen, you know, it's the scary part. It's like you go for this big wave and once it drops on you, you're like it's survival mode. And uh, I got scared, you know, but I can't wait for after this fight because it's still winter and we're getting the swells up. And my goal is to to go out there and just get get hit by some and just shake it off and, and get over that fear, you know? Nice. Well, you know, you went here. I think there's going to be some big fight opportunities for you, too. So you might not be able to go surfing. You might have to handle those. You know, I don't know about that one, in, in the lead-up, I thought it was great, man. That, uh, and I don't know if you created or somebody did, but, you know, you kind of tweeted at Max Holloway, like, here's, hey, here's the only undefeated contender in the division. So talk to me about that. I mean, you feel like, you know, post the bear, like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for this title shot. I mean, put it this way. If you get a chance to fight for the title, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. 
And knowing the fact that I, that that uh, all the all the stats and all the facts that I was given, it was a possibility. And my name got thrown in there, and I got really excited because one was like, one thing is you believing you're you're ready for it. But when your name gets thrown out there, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, let's make some noise now, you know? Like they they his manager threw out my name. They said it's uh. Max has to pick between one of those names, and I was like, he already beat, although he already beat Swan, you know, like, I'm thinking on, on his side, like, if I want to fight someone, defend the belt, let me get a new cat, and what better way to promote it than fighting, you know, like, the undefeated, you know, all this, and so I made some noise, you know, I poked the bear a little bit, uh, as, as you say, but uh, why not, you know, like, I'm here to fight the best, and I want to become the champion, and if on any given night, I feel like anyone in the top five could could win a belt, you know. On any on any night, one one of these right punches lands, they they all have the the possibility and the capability of being a, a champion. So I rattled some noise. I had Kelly Slater out there. I had uh, I mean I had Travis Bark. I had all of my homies, uh, you know, like making some noise, helping me make some noise. And uh, Freddie Prince Jr. All these guys were like just rooting for it, and I was loving it, man. So I mean. Even if I, even because I didn't get the shot, I just love the fact that I got to see how many people have my back, you know, yeah. and that was good to see. What'd you think about his performance? It was great. It was great. Uh, I felt like Aldo kind of gassed out again, um, but he had a fight not not too long, so he should have been training for it. But I don't know, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say he's done with, but you know, from at least with Max, Max kind of. I think Max has his number. Yeah. You know, not that he's not dangerous, though. Well, you get a big win here, and I think you'll definitely be in that mix of people, man, right there in the discussion. <laughs> so, I mean, first things first, obviously, you got to focus on that. But when you play this fight out, man, you think about all the wars you've been through, all the exciting fights you've been through. We've seen Cub do the same. I mean, this looks like potential fight of the night type stuff. But how do you see this thing playing out? How do you get your hand raised? Oh, man. I have a lot of visions, you know, like I, I envision knockouts, I envision submissions, um, you know, like when, when you're training hard and, and, you, and you're really, you know, I'm passionate about what I do, I always think like how, you know, like how, how can I get this win or how, how is it going to happen or how is it going to go down? And uh I haven't even figured it out yet. You know, that's the crazy part. I just go in there and I just do, I just feel that I, I, I do what I have to do to win, to get the finish, you know? And it's been some wars, you know, and I guess the fans love it and they're entertained by it. And uh, my face doesn't appreciate it after, but, you know, like, it is what it is, man. We're going to war, you know? This is it. I'm fighting the best of the best. Like I said, if I could snap a fucking push a button and first round finish, believe me, I would take that over three rounds, five rounds of just punches and bunches to each other. But I don't have that button. I'm trying to get better and train and get that button, though, you know? So hopefully I'm prepared uh, for this fight as well as I know I am prepared. And the world will get to see uh, what I'm capable of, you know? <laughs> Welcome back to the May Road Show. That was Brian Ortega. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, or if you enjoy anything else you've heard tonight, 
if you enjoy me uh, not being exhausted like I was last time out and maybe having a little bit of energy, then what you need to do is go to iTunes. Do us a favor. Log in. Rate us. Give us five stars if you can. Review us. I love reading that feedback. Leave us a little sentence or two. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Tell me what we need to change. I don't care. I like reading that stuff, and, and uh, I always like to hear from, from you guys. So rate us, review us, definitely subscribe so we get those downloads going. All those things help us out, help us get a little bit more known, help us spread the word a little bit, and maybe help some more people find the MMA Roadshow. The other thing you can do uh, if you uh, enjoy what you listen and you need to buy tickets to a sporting event or a concert, go to SeatGeek. Our new friends at SeatGeek are certainly helping us out as well. been fantastic to partner with them. SeatGeek, if you don't know, is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. What you can do is just get the SeatGeek app on your phone. You don't even have to go to a website. You can just put the app on your phone, a couple of taps right there in that app. You can find tickets to anything. Upcoming USC events, they got all that. Concerts, they got that stuff too. My mom wants to go see Willie Nelson. She just hit me up the other day. She's using SeatGeek to go see Willie Nelson. Crazy, right? They got a little bit of everything. The great thing they do, they put it all together and they make it super simple for you. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites so they can compare the prices, find the deals. And not only that, they give it a little grade next to it to make it even easier for you. So if, you, if you've had a few frosty beverages and the math is a little bit fuzzy, hint, hint, wink, wink, you know what I'm saying. They got the rating right there. So you know every price that you make is fully guaranteed there so you're not going to have any problems. So listen, if you need tickets to anything, I'm just telling you. I'm not, I'm not telling you to go buy tickets that you don't need. But if you need tickets, and you, you might as well go to the easiest place to do it. And I can help you save you money. All you got to do is go into the app and enter the promo code ROADSHOW. That's all one word, ROADSHOW. You're going to get $20 off your first purchase. See what I'm saying? If you need tickets anyway, why waste money? Save money. Go there. Seat geek. All right. Cup Swanson. Dude's been around forever. Uh... Life is changing for him. He's got a kid. Baby's here. He's spending time with the family. And this feels like a, a I don't want to say a crossroads moment because, listen, I mean, uh, I've seen a lot of interviews making a lot out of this is his last bout on his contract. I mean, guys, he's been fighting for, for Zufa for 10 years. I, I don't see him going anywhere else. I really don't. I don't. I don't see him wanting to necessarily pursue a free agent offer. Not that he wouldn't. Might as well get the offers. Might as well see what the money is out there on the open market. That's the only way you know to test your value. So I've got, you know, no problem with people testing free agency. You know, sometimes it's smart. Now, sometimes it might not pay off. Sometimes that guaranteed offer that came before might be more than what you get from Bellator or one championship or the Professional Fighters League. It might not be that much. And then you got to go back to Zufa and say, eh, how about that first offer? And they're going to say, well, no, 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 no. We like what that other company offered you because it's a lot less. Um, but anyway, I say all that to say I don't think Cub Swanson is leaving, man. I think he's going to be around. But as far as, you know, that title shot that he wants, man, I feel like this is a big crossroads, you know. And he keeps getting these fights that are tough fights that maybe don't have the name. Do Ho Choi. Artem Loboff was a tough fight. I know Artem gets pooped on every now and then. But he put in a scrap that night. And Brian Ortega is a tough kid that, again, maybe doesn't have the name yet, but I think is somebody very good and very special in the sport. 
So it's a tough position for Cub Swanson to be in. And I think, you know, every fight's a must-win to a degree, right? I mean, every fight's the biggest fight of your career. But I do feel like this is a, a big, big moment for Cub Swanson. So I uh, had a chance to sit down with him as well and talk to him about, you know, what he thinks about what is at stake here. And uh, here's what Cub Swanson had to say. Well, Cub, first off, man, we haven't seen you since uh, April. And you took a little yeah. family time, a little yeah. personal time to change, change your life up a little bit. What's, what's that time been like for you? It's been amazing. Uh, you know, I was, you know, very calculated. I knew the baby was coming. I told the UFC, leave me alone for a while. They were like, why? And I was, was like, oh, I got some personal stuff going on. So it was cool. I got time alone, uh, had the baby, uh, got a little bit of time to adjust to the baby coming home, training with that. And, you know, it's been pretty smooth. I was going to say, I mean, that's a, that's a big adjustment lifestyle, man, as a fellow parent. Uh, it takes over your schedule. So give me an idea of what training has been like for you getting ready for a fight, you know, knowing there's schedules and routines and sleep is tough and, and all those yeah. things. What's what's preparation been like for you? Well, I mean, the the trophy goes to, to my daughter, Royal, because since we brought her home, she sleeps, like, all, all throughout the night. She doesn't wake up. So after that, everything's been easy. A little fussing here and there is not a big deal because I got a full night's sleep. But And that's, like, my biggest thing is – when I'm training hard, I need sleep, and, and with that, I'm okay. That's awesome. Sometimes I know it maybe provides like an extra layer of motivation or an extra sense of purpose. Yeah. Or I mean, what has it been like? Have you felt any kind of like mental or psychological or emotional shift? Like, I, I just feel like I have more energy, which is crazy. You know, I'm, I'm 34, and I'm pushing harder than I've ever pushed. I do give myself uh, a lot of time to recover and, and do all that stuff. I'm very focused on that. But just wanting to like... Instead of going home and laying in bed and watching TV and trying to let my body recover for the next workout, I'm, you know, just trying to pick her up or play with her and just spend that that quality time with her. So I feel like I have more energy. It's pretty crazy. That's cool. What does it make you feel like where you are in your career arc? You know what I mean? Uh, like, does it make you want to fight more because you got somebody to take care of? Does it make you think I got to get done with this stuff because I got to get out of you know getting punched in the head? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, it makes me want to push even further because I know she's gonna one day grow up and be watching these fights and and saying like you know how I did and I'm just putting pressure on myself to go out there and just be the best um, and at the same time I want to make as much money as possible and, and you know I'd like to give her all the things I didn't have so you know it's motivation. Let's talk about how this fight came together I mean you've been putting your name out there you wanted the biggest fights you want a title fight and they come to you with a tough kid but I mean coming up and coming right so yeah. Talk to me about how this fight came together and kind of what you thought when they first came with this name. Uh, just because of the way all things played out and, and the whole contract situation, I, I kind of had a feeling this was coming, and I feel like I, I knew about it before it was given to me. So uh, I, it was no shocker. So, you, I mean, you just kind of looked at the landscape and you are like, I bet I get Ortega? Yeah, yeah, I looked at it. My manager said the same thing. I talked to a couple other managers that I'm friends with. They said the same thing. Then I started hearing about it in the, you know, with, with some of the journalists. And then a couple of UFC employees said something, and they, Sean Shelby was like, nope, no opponent. Nope, no opponent, no date. I'm like, okay, okay, because I'll just start preparing for Fresno. <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, how much have you watched of him? I mean, he's a fellow California guy, but, I mean, you've been around forever. I mean, do you... Do you take the time to watch the up-and-comers and say, that might be somebody I fight, or did you have to go, you know, kind of break him down and study him? Well, I went to his last fight, was in, in Anaheim, 
Yeah. Uh, I was there and I was watching, you know, all the 45ers on the card. I knew Jason Knight was fighting Lamas. I knew if he won that fight, that'd be a potential matchup. And then I knew the, the matchup between Ortega and uh, the Brazilian. I don't remember Renato. how to say his name. Hanato something. Um, I knew the winner of that would also be a potential matchup. So I saw Lamas win. That was, you know, I didn't think that they were in a rush to have us rematch. And then when I saw Ortega win, I was like, ah, oh, that's potential. So. You really did have it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what do you think about him? I mean, overall, I mean, uh, a dangerous guy. I mean, he's mm-hmm. obviously, he's, um, I mean, he's had some very exciting fights. Some potential bonus money might be on the line. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about the matchup itself? Well, I mean, we both kind of like to do the same things. We like to box, and then we have good ground game. So, uh, you know, I, I think people would give him the edge on the ground, and people would give me the edge on boxing. But neither one of us is a slouch at the other thing. So. Uh, and we both have a good chin and like, like to throw down. So I think it, it makes for a good fight. It certainly should be. I mean, as you said, I mean, it's not like you're a rookie on the ground. But, I mean, yeah. when you look at him, is, do you look at a guy and say, we just need to stay out of that position. Like, the ground is not somewhere we want to be. Well, I just think that I did so much leading up to this fight. Uh, for a long time, I, you know, for years and years, I was grappling maybe once a month, you know, and just not really wanting to do it. And then, you know, in the last few years, I've really gotten back to just getting better at my craft and enjoying it. And I will say that this fight is the most I grappled, most I wrestled. Uh, I was helping uh, a bunch of buddies train for their fights, helping TJ train for his fight. And, uh, you know, going with all these guys and scrambling with these guys, it just made me feel comfortable on the ground again and really get into it. So it's the, it's the most I prepared for grappler. But then still finished off with tons of boxing, tons of striking, did all the stuff I normally do. I know you're always eyeing for that title shot, so I'm sure you were watching Holloway and all those. Uh, Tell me what you thought of Max's performance, man. What do you think? I thought it was a great performance. I, I will say that I, I think I've always known him as being tough and, and just having good cardio. But I will say that I really, I really underestimated how smart of a fighter he is. Uh, he went in there and just, you know, played with uh, Aldo's ego and. I think that Aldo looked better than he has in the past, but he still had that one weakness and Holloway just kind of poked at him, poked at him, poked at him. And then when he got frustrated and gassed himself out, then he goes in for the kill. I mean, he took him out in the same round, both both fights, uh, like clockwork. So, I, I, you know, I got to give him uh, points for that. You mentioned Aldo. I mean, I know that's for the longest time that's been a fight that you wanted to get back, mm-hmm. but now with him at one and three in his last four, yeah. does it still interest you at all? I mean, is this something personal you'd like to address, or now do you feel like, you know, no disrespect to one of the greatest of all time, but that it just doesn't make sense anymore? I mean, I would love to. It's just the fact that I'd like to get a title fight first, you know? It's like my list of priorities, it's it's a little lower than a title fight. And the what, what was frustrating when he called me out uh, and said he wanted to fight me, he knew that I was in a better position than him at the time. And the thing is, is I'm thinking, Man, if you would have beat Max, we would be fighting, and I'd be getting paid triple what I'd be getting paid to fight you now. So it just didn't seem as as intriguing. Plus, I still was in the the mix for the title fight. So uh, title fight's number one because I'm trying to trying to make the money and I'm trying to get the big fight. So when you're looking at the title situation, and obviously Frankie Edgar was supposed to be in that fight, it sounds like he's got a, a broken orbital. Yeah. Don't know how long he's going to be out. But I mean, how do you how do you see it? I mean, do you feel like? Frankie's still the number one contender and you're going to have to deal with that? Or do you feel like if you go in here and put on a show and, and do something decisive, like that puts you as number one contender? I mean, how do you, how do you view the title situation? 
I think people jump people all the time. So I think the fact that, you know, it's it sucks what happened to Frankie, but uh, he had the title fight. He had to pull out. So, I mean, in a sense, I've been in that situ situation before. Somebody else is going to step up. Um, that's the reason I had to fight Frankie the first time when I was promised a title fight because they told me that if I didn't fight him, that Connor was going to pass me up by beating Dennis Seaver, <laughs> which is a joke. But um, yeah, so they made me fight him uh, to, to you know for my fourth consecutive uh, number one contender fight. But yeah, so I think a win with Ortega, a real big win, would be would be huge. And I, you know, if they don't want to give me the shot, then whatever. It's a lot on the line here, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, new dad, you know, like you said, a big stage in your career. It could be a number one contender fight. So so how do you see this thing getting done? I mean, how do you see this one playing out? I mean, honestly, I'm so focused on just having a great performance. And, and it, it's it's way simpler than, than it sounds. All that other stuff is just noise in the background. So I see myself going out there and having the best performance of my career. and call it a royal performance. Alright, so listen, forced to make a pick, which I was, recorded my little video earlier and uh, sent it in for our media picks and also, of course, have our, our spreadsheets on. I picked Cub Swanson. I picked Cub Swanson. Just going by the fact that, you know, he is the veteran. This is the, the big step up for Brian Ortega. And it seems like, you know, every fighter has that one moment where it's just a little bit more than they can chew at that moment. Heck, even Cub Swanson said this afternoon at the open workouts, he said, listen, you know, Brian Ortega is going to be a better fighter one day when he loses. And, and I'm going to be happy to be the guy to teach him that lesson. And and I like what he's saying there. Um, Man, I do have this sneaking suspicion about Ortega, man. It's just... His attitude this week, the way he's walking around, man, you, you see when people have that confidence. You see when people have that, that little something about them, that little that little added aura where you're like, hmm, something going on this week. Um, and I don't know, man. Ortega is incredibly relaxed, um, incredibly confident, and uh, incredibly just at peace with what's at stake but realizes what it is. So there seems to be something in the air around him this week. But – at the end of the day, you know, when when you when you look at it, I gotta go with Cub Swanson. The better, the more refined striker, Ortega will get in there and mix it up. As good as he is at jujitsu, you know, he's not gonna sell out on a takedown. Like he's gonna get in there and, and, and throw hands with you. And I think Cub Swanson is a little bit more refined, a little bit more diverse in his striking. Man, I feel like Cub Swanson can get away. You know, if 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 Ortega. You know, if T-City's wrapping his, his arms and legs around you, I feel like Cub Swanson, while he might not want to engage in that game too long, does have the tools that it takes to, to get away. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm loving this main event. I think there's stakes here. I think that, you know, Brian Ortega is a guy that has real potential, star potential in the division, and we'll see. Co-main event, Gabriel Mowgli Benitez versus Jason Knight. Uh, Gabriel Benitez, maybe not a name that you're real familiar with, but um, a guy that's fighting out of Mexico, training at AKA, has had some kind of mixed results in the UFC, uh, a couple wins, a couple losses, um, coming off a loss in his most recent fight. But, you know, a guy that uh, the people at AKA have, have real high hopes around and, and believe in a lot. Um, and, of course, you know, anybody that's coming out of that Latin American market right now, you know, those Latin American countries, they, they want to see – 
those people do good, man. They want to help the sport grow. So for every win that those guys in these in these you know Latin American countries pick up, it helps grow the sport in those areas. Um, and Gabriel Benitez has some abilities. He actually said, you know, he's very confident, very happy about this fighting. You know, just a couple hours away from where he trains, his adopted hometown now in San Jose. But he's fighting another roadshow favorite, Jason Knight, the Mississippi mean, as uh, I believe John Annett coined him. Uh, Hick Diaz, as he's been known as well. Uh, I have uh, remain a big fan of Jason Knight, no question about that. Uh, he has been a roadshow favorite all along, and uh, is coming off a loss to Ricardo Lamas, a, a, a devastating first round loss to Ricardo Lamas that ended a nice little streak that he was on. Uh, but I am a uh, I'm a big fan of this 25 year old kid out of Mississippi. I love watching him fight, and I hadn't had a chance to speak to him since the uh, since the loss. That was at uh, UFC 214 back in July in Anaheim, and uh, he was disappointed. I mean, he was dropping some f bombs as he walked by press row after it was over. Um, such a um, such a fun guy. That was the week he uh, we had heard that uh, I, I guess the the TV in his room in Anaheim wouldn't uh wouldn't accept the 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 cord of his video game system there was something wrong with the the usb cable or whatever so jason went out to walmart bought a tv but made sure to save the receipt so they could take it back at the end of the week which i just think is a phenomenal story man just bought a big ass tv for the room so he could play video games uh but made sure to take it back after the week was over so uh but i love this kid uh, certainly uh, you know if you're listening to roadshow i gotta imagine you're a little bit of a hardcore you've seen this kid fight yeah, yeah, yeah. Hear the accent, which is just awesome, and and you hear the way he talks and scraps. Uh, and today was the first day I'd really gotten a chance to talk to him at the open workouts today. Um, this was a media scrum. You will notice that there was not a ton of media there uh, because you're going to hear a lot of my voice. But uh, I just love this kid's attitude and kind of how he's feeling about things and how he answers um, about what the loss meant to him, about what he's been focused on, and about where he goes from here. Here is the kid, Jason Knight. Jason, obviously, last time we saw you this summer, things didn't go your way. Uh, just kind of wanted to ask, kind of what you thought about that, how you got over it, how you moved past that. I don't get what you're talking about, man. Things went exactly how they were supposed to. You know, uh, every time I, I get in that cage, I pray to God, you know, let the best man win. You know, if it's not me, it's no big deal. Just let me go out there, fight to the best of my abilities. You know, I made a, a critical mistake in that fight. I got over my hands down. But, uh, you know, it's a big learning experience. You know, at that level, top 15, those guys, they're animals. They're a whole different breed than the rest of the, the clique. So, you know, you got you to gotta be flawless. Can't make any mistakes. And uh, I learned more from that fight than I have any of my wins. You know, so that, that's the good thing about it. Uh, you know, you see these some fighters, they, they're so hell-bent on they can't they can't lose. They've got to win everything. I don't give a shit, man. I'm, I'm out here to fight. I'm ready to have fun. And get paid doing it, and you know that that's just the way that it goes. I made you know thirty thousand dollars to get TKO'd. Who the hell gets to do that? You know what I'm saying? So hey, it didn't really bother me. Well done. So what's the focus been like on the gym since then? I mean, is it, is it about being flawless so you can compete with those top 15 guys, or, or has it been changes? What's it been like? Man, I, I've mainly you know the main thing I've always got away with my whole career is being here, you know, keeping them hands down and, you know, taking it on the chin and, and being okay with it. So I've mainly been trying to, you know, work on keeping my hands up a little bit and, you know, try not to rely so much on my chin, a little, a little more on technique and not so much on the grit. But, uh, you know, the grit's still there, the chin's still there. So if I, if I do get hit on the chin, you best believe I'm going to keep walking right through it just like I always do. Very nice. Despite the loss. 
despite the loss, the UFC comes back and gives you a co-main event. So, I mean, does that does that feel pretty special, though, they trust you with that? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, they, they, they know just as well as I do. It's a top three guy. You know, that, that's, a, that's a big, big shoes to fill. And I asked for that fight. You know, I asked for it. And, you know, it was not really a short notice fight, but I didn't have a complete training camp for it. And, you know, the, that was just uh, something that I wanted to try to do. You know, I want to test myself at that level. And, I mean, I, I had the skills to beat him. I had the tools to beat him. I just, I, he was flawless. I wasn't, you know. So I think that, uh, you know, they, they know that I'm at the level where I need to be. And they, they, they're just giving me this fight. I think it's kind of like a warm-up. You know, I mean, of course, Gabriel Benitez is a tough fighter. He's going to be a hard fight for me. But, you know, uh, they, I think they're trying to give me him. So if, if I can beat him, then they're going to give me that next step up. They just wanted to kind of assess where my skills are at, where my, where my brain's at after taking that tough loss. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not like the rest of these guys. I don't get butt hurt over a loss. You know, it, do, it doesn't bother me. And I'm right back to the same guy 30 minutes later. Then I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I think I, I might have been upset for 30 seconds, and then afterwards I was back to happy-go-lucky Jason, you know, and that's the way it's going to be. So even coming up short, you realize you belong with those top two guys. Oh, yeah, man. I, I belong with every, everybody that's inside that top 15. You know, and I think I'm above some of their levels for sure. Uh, you know, I just gotta, I gotta get to, to that flawless, you know, stage where, where I make no mistakes. Uh, I have no errors that's gonna cost me fights. You know, once, I, once I get to where, once I get to that, you know, that fight IQ, to where I, I, I think consciously about keeping my hands up, think consciously about moving the right direction and stuff like that, you know, I think that after that, the skill's already there. It's just the, the little, uh, tiny little nitpicking things that you know could cost you the fight. And last thing for me, I mean, the fourth fight of 2017. How's the body feel? I mean, is this a pace that you can keep up that you want to have moving forward? Yeah, man, I, I want to, even if I get that belt in my hand, I still want to fight four or five times a year as much as they can put me in there. You know, like I said, this is, this is something I do for fun, you know, and, and I happen to make money while I'm doing it. So, you know, if I, if I can go out there and do the thing that I love most in this world and do it often, that's what I want to do. I don't want to, I don't want to play it safe, you know. You got guys that, you know, they get the belt, and then the next thing you know, they're, they're fighting for points. That's not me. I'll get that belt and I'm still gonna grip my teeth and go out there to, to win the fight. I, I don't wanna, I wanna leave it to the judges ever. I wanna get the finish. Yes, I don't know how much you know about, you know, the, the MMA community here in the Central Valley, but uh, this is the first time UFC's been here, you know, in Fresno. When, when you hear that, are you kind of surprised by that? Yeah, man, uh, I, I think, you know, it's gonna be a, a cool thing to go out here and, you know, be part of the the opening act, you know, and uh, I think that we're gonna get a lot of support from these guys because you know that's like if you bring a you bring an event to Mississippi, we've never had an event in Mississippi. You bring an event to Mississippi, and the show is gonna sell out because everybody's been waiting on something like this, and you're gonna see a lot of passionate fans out there who's really you know excited about the fight. Not you know you, say you go to Vegas, there's gonna be guys that's been there a hundred times. You come here, that's not that's not the case. You know you got a lot of people who aren't able to make it to all these other shows way off and they get to do it right here at their home, so they're pretty excited about it. What do you know about, you know, you got the Diaz brothers from Stockton, you know, there's guys from Hanford, Lemoore, you know, Fresno, who've made a name for themselves. I mean, this is, this is a good area, isn't it? Yeah, man, I, I think so. Uh, but, you know, I think Mississippi's a good area for making a name for yourself, too. <laughs>
good fight there. I, I think that could be a lot of fun. I think Jason Knight is a big favorite there, and for a reason. You hear how he says it, like it's that, you know, not really a gimme fight, not really a setup fight, but you know, a, a, an opportunity for him to prove that he is still what everybody thought he was. I mean, it would be devastating for him to lose to Gabriel Benitez. Uh, Mowgli did say uh, this afternoon at the open workouts as well. He said, "Listen, the one thing I know, uh, Jason Knight is not going to stand and trade with me. You know, that that would be bad for him. I know he's going to try to take this to the ground, but man." His ground game's fun. Very creative. Uh, his open workouts, we streamed it on Facebook. It didn't turn out great because it was off my iPhone, and uh, the, the reception wasn't great in there, so it was kind of grainy. And um, but, You know, I'm just not the trained videographer that, that, that like, Ken Hathaway is, Colt Coffee. Um, so it didn't, you know, it wasn't, like, the greatest thing ever. But, man, some of the jiu-jitsu transitions that he had were a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a big night for Jason Knight. It's a fight that he should win. Uh, but it's a fight that if he doesn't, um, would be very problematic for him. After that, it's Aljamain Sterling and Marlon Marias going at This is another big fight. Again, this card, under the radar, but there's some fights, especially at the top of the bill, that really mean something. Aljamain Sterling and Marlon Marias, of course, supposed to be Hani Yaya here against Aljamain Sterling. A lot of people didn't like that fight. I is kind of a, you know, I guess a little bit of a grappling dork was kind of looking forward to it. I thought, you know, maybe if Aljamain would kind of get into a little bit of, a little bit of a grappling exchange with Hana Yaya, it could be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but a lot of people weren't feeling it. So when Yaya bowed out and Marias stepped in, I think that was probably a big step up for a lot of people. Marias is uh, a slight favorite to win this fight. And, uh, you know, I, I did go ahead and, and, and pick Marlon Marias as well uh, in my picks. I, I know that uh, you know, he's had some tough fights to date, but the, the guy is in good form. I think he's world-class level. But I, Al Jermaine has everything that it takes to win this fight as well. He really, really does. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm excited for this fight. I, th- I think this is a, a very big one in that division as well. Um, and, and Al Jermaine and Marlon were both very, very respectful of each other. You know, both of them had the utmost respect for each other's skills. Um, basically just said, listen, it comes down to – uh, you know, who executes on fight night and, and who makes the first mistake and who capital. I mean, they both know that, that they are so well matched up and, and each of them is so high level. Um, that it, it's, it's going to be um, a game of inches, so to speak. You know, who slips up, who makes the first mistake. So both of them highly respectful. If you want to see um, the full interviews there, um, they're, they're both on on, uh, on YouTube. But I did want to play some of the audio of, of Alzheimer and Sterling because, I, you know, this was and it's funny because I I tweeted this out earlier and and uh, you know saw some negative feedback. Ah, oh, Aljamain's always complaining. I didn't really feel like he was complaining. I mean, Aljamain was directly answering a question of mine, um, and what he thinks about you know the potential fight of T.J. Dillashaw versus Demetrius Johnson. And I've said it, man. I, I love the fight. I mean, Demetrius needs a new opponent. T.J. Dillashaw coming down would be awesome. I like that better than Demetrius going up. Um, so I'm I'm, I'm a fan of uh, of that fight, but. You know, Aljamain makes some good points. Like, hey, listen, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a good fight and all, but, um, you know, there's a lot of contenders right now at Bantamweight. Uh, a lot of people, and, and, and TJ hasn't defended the belt once. So, why, you know, why are we talking about now going and, and, and chasing off in another division when there's a belt that needs to be defended now and there's legitimate contenders in there? Uh, and I think that's fair. I mean, I think that's that's fair. So uh, this is what Aljamain Sterling had to say about it. Again, some people take it as him complaining. Me, I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a fair point. Well, Andre, obviously we know you're supposed to face Hani Yaya, a fight that a lot of people didn't like. I liked it. Fell apart. Some people say maybe this is better now. How did we get from Hani Yaya to Marlon Moraes? How did this all come together? 
Well, something happened to Hani Yaya. I'm not really sure, but I think he was in training, got hurt, and said, ah, ah. So <laughs> here we are. I got another top 10 opponent, um, a very big name, and uh, I think this fight is going to be fireworks. I think it will be too. I, I do know the, the Jimmy Rivera fight, you know, the possibility that was there, and it had a little personal story. Are you disappointed at all that that fight wasn't the one you got? Uh, not really. You know, at this point, I'm done chasing Rivera. I'm moving on to bigger and better things at this point in my career. Uh, he turned down both myself and he turned down Marlon Moraes as well. So uh, here we are today. Marlon stepped up on short notice after coming off a split decision win over John Dotson. So I think this is the uh, this is the main uh, this is this 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 is a people's main event right here. Outside of Cub Swanson and, and Brian Ortega, this is a, I think this is the real co-main event. Yeah, I like it. It's a big fight. Uh, what is it with you and Brazilians, man? It's like you're rolling with Kobe Covington or something. <laughs> they just keep putting you against Brazilians. Yeah, I, I like Brazil, so Brazil don't beat me up. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know what? I fought, This is going to be the fourth Brazilian I'm fighting for the year. And, you know, I, a sunset I escaped with a split decision win when I was still developing my career. And uh, I learned a lot from that fight about myself and my skill set. And now I'm going to try to pull off a hat trick to end 2017 on the right foot. I like it. Uh, talking about Marias, I mean, obviously, completely different fighter than Hani Yaya. So um, is that, you know, kind of a, a pain in the ass, basically, to have to, like, completely change strategies, completely prepare for a different style of opponent? Not really. Tweak a few things. I think um, I don't really... I don't really game plan, you know. I go out there and I just, I just fight my fight. I do what I do best, and I'm gonna bring my skill sets to the table. He's gonna bring what he brings to the table. And we're just gonna have to figure this shit out. So, uh, he's actually out there right now, which is pretty funny. But um, you know, he's a great leg kicker. He's good off of his back. He's good on top. Uh, I think it's just gonna be a, a matter of well, who's gonna have the most heart when they go out there, and uh, I think that guy's gonna be me. He was. Dominant in, in World Series of Fighting. He's had a couple tough fights in the UFC so far. I mean, have you been impressed by what you see, or, or, or was maybe he just not the level that maybe we thought he was? You know what? I think uh, when you step into the UFC and you're fighting these this top ten, I think um, you're, you're in a shark's tank. You know, so you're gonna you're gonna be in those tougher battles, those tougher fights. I think he's found out real quick that you know there's no pushover fights over here. I think he had a very dominant career over at uh, World Series of Fighting. Was able to develop his skill set a lot more being that he was there for so long. But um, it's the big leagues, man. So, you know, I found out the hard ways uh, as well. You know, as soon as I broke into that top 10, my first uh, opponent, Brian Caraway, next one, Rafael Sunsell, and uh, I took out one of the goats of, of this entire Bantamweight division in Henry Burrell. So uh, I'm, I'm fighting all these tough dudes. You know, I want to keep my hit, my, my name in the mix and eventually string together a couple of wins again and state my case to challenge for a world title in 2018. Where do you think the stakes are? I mean, where do you think this is? Because it's an interesting time now with, with the title changing hands and Dominic getting hurt and you know, all these things happen. I mean, do you, is this potentially a number one contender fight or is it something to get you in a number one contender fight? I mean, what are you looking at as the stakes? I think there's a lot that's riding on this fight for the, for the both of us. So whoever gets, whoever gets their hand raised, which will be me, uh, I think they're going to solidify themselves as a true number one contender or line themselves up for a number one contender fight. Um, I'm not really sure what's going to happen with TJ. TJ's talking about fighting Mighty Mouse. If, if that happens, that's going to really hold, hold the division all over again. Um, there's a couple, there's a lot of young blood, new faces for TJ to challenge that. He hasn't yet cleared out this division. So I think he should stay put, do, do his job as champion, and fight the guys who are the true number one contenders at this weight class. Uh, you got Jimmy Rivera in the hunt. You have uh, Rafael Sunset on the hunt, who uh, Marlon and I both lost to via split decision. Uh, 
I'm not sure who else. I think that's pretty much it. I mean, you got Lineker. If he gets the win over Rivera, then you have Lineker in the mix as well. But he just lost to TJ. And Dominic Cruz's arm is broken. And Cody just came off of a knockout to, to, to TJ. So it's really um, a who's who's. It's a kind of a pick em. So I just got to make sure I go out there and do my job December 9th. And, you know, can take the win anywhere I can get the win. But, you know, I'm trying to go out there and push a ridiculous pace and try to get the finish. So it's kind of funny, because, you know, talking about maybe TJ going out to fight Demetrius, and Demetrius needs new challengers, right? I mean, I think it would be an exciting fight, but you feel yeah. like maybe it's a little premature, I mean, to just win the title and then to go chase another one? Yeah, I, I do understand that TJ is a two-time world champion this, at this point, but at the same time, you haven't cleaned out the division yet. Uh, Mighty Mouse has cleaned out his division. He's done his job in his weight class. So, TJ, stay put, do your job, because I'm coming for the belt. You got all of us hungry young competitors coming up for the belt, and uh, just... That's, that's all it's all about right now. We're all chasing gold. You've shown in your progression, man, that your striking keeps getting better and better and better. But is this the type of matchup, you know, knowing the kind of striking that he has, the type of leg kicks that he has, that maybe we might see you turn to the jiu-jitsu game, turn to the grappling game a little bit more, even if maybe it's not as exciting as people might want it to be? You know what? I'm just going to fight, man. I'm going to fight wherever this fight goes. If he tries to go for that patented knee tap, Frankie Yeager, you know, if, if the fight goes to the ground, I'm no stranger to fight off my back. I, I will be slashing up elbows. I will be throwing up submissions, and I will be kicking like a mule. So and if he wants to take it there, we can take it there. If he wants to stand up and fight, we can stand up and fight. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to die in there. So bring it. When you do kind of close your eyes and visualize, how, how do you see this thing? With all those possibilities, no one's there, how do you see this thing going? I don't know. This, this, I've seen multiple ways this fight can end. You know, I've seen ways that I could possibly lose, and the main thing is a decision. You know, so if you're gonna try to go out there and decision me to death, but uh, you can't. It's gonna be hard to do that if I'm the guy pushing the pace and staying in your face the entire time. I'm looking to tire his ass out and see who's got the better cardio and see what happens. That's all. That's all you can do. Go out there, give it your best, and if I have a great performance, the results will speak for themselves. That's what Aljamain Sterling has to say about the Bantamweight division. I, I got to say, I, I, I kind of feel where he's coming from a little bit. So uh, the rest of the main card, I mean, listen, th those to me, those are the big three fights. I mean, it, those are the ones you don't want to miss this weekend. I get it. If you need a week off after you, you need to, uh, to take a little break, and, of course, we'll have you covered MMA Junkie. So if you don't want to watch the, the full card and you just want to come back and get digestible pieces, you know we got you. You know we got you from on site. That's what we do at MMA Junkie. Uh, but a couple other, you know, th those those three are the ones I think you definitely want to tune in for and, and watch on uh, on FS1. Uh, Scott Holtzman, Hot Sauce versus Daryl Horcher. Eric Anders versus Marcus Perez. Benito Lopez versus Albert Morales, the rest of your main card fights. FS1, a preliminary card, wraps up with Liz Carmouche versus Alexis Davis. Now, this is a rematch, but it's a fight uh, that, took, that took place at Bantamweight the first time. It's taking place at Flyweight this time. Uh, both women are making their way down to 125 pounds. Uh, both said, listen, it, was, it wasn't easy, but uh, it wasn't hard either. You know, just had to make a lot of, you know, the right decisions and clean up my diet. And, and uh, now I'm excited. I did think it was funny that they both moved down to 125 and then end up fighting a fellow, you know, former 135 where it's like, Damn, maybe we should have waited once to cut. Uh, but we'll see how they look on the scales. Um, both were, uh, you know, kind of looking forward to the opportunity, kind of thinking this is a, is, is a fresh start and a chance to make an immediate impact in the division since the flyweight rankings, you know, really haven't been sussed out just yet. Um, interesting to note, and, and I, I found this wild. Like, there was no way I thought that, like, 
both these women watched every episode of Tough. I mean, one thing that I'm sure a lot of you have picked up on by now is most fighters don't watch a lot of fights. Most of them don't. Now, there's exceptions. Like, for instance, uh, Chito Vera is here, Marlon Vera, who, by the way, Chito Vera said tonight, I don't know how serious he was, but he did have workout gear on. He's like, I'm keeping my weight low just in case they need somebody in the morning. He's like, I'm here. Uh, I'm going to keep myself ready just in case. I love that attitude. Uh, but Cheeto's a guy that watches a lot of fights. He watches a lot of fights. And by the way, he's trying to book another fight. Uh, he wants somebody 135 pounds. And I couldn't think of anybody offhand. So if you can think of anybody that makes sense right now for Marlon Cheeto Vera, uh, tweet me and him. Come up with the idea. We, we told him we, I told him we'd brainstorm together. But you guys are way smarter than I am. So if you if you think of something – Tweet both of us, uh, and and uh, so we can see your suggestion. Um, but yeah, he's an exception. He watches a lot of fights, so there was no way I thought Liz Carmouche and Alexis Davis watched like every episode of The Ultimate Fighter to to see you know kind of how it shook out or anything like that. I knew that didn't happen, but uh, I was surprised that they both said they didn't even watch the title fight. I, I just kind of wanted to ask him, and it seemed like an easy question, like what well, you know, what did you think about Nico Montano? Get their um, feedback on it, and you know how they think they matched up, and I'm sure they wouldn't want to. You know, talk trash about a new champion or whatever, but I'm, I kind of wanted to hear what they said. And uh, both of them said they didn't even watch the title fight. Didn't even watch the title fight. Now, they, they said it was because they were so dialed in on their own fight that, you know, they, they just didn't have time and they were worried about other things. But, man, like, I, I would think you'd want to watch the new champ. I, so, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too far into this that maybe they were kind of dismissive, that they're like, ah, you know, whoever wins, it's it's going to be in different hands by the time I get there anyway. I don't know. All the, all the talk on the ground around here is, is certainly the Valentina Shevchenko uh, is just itching to make that move to 125 pounds. Of course, it looks like uh, Nico Montano is, is having surgery on that broken foot that she admitted she was fighting with. So, um, I don't know. I thought that was fun. So, if you want to see those interviews, Liz Carmouche, Alexis Davis, they're on MMA Junkie, um, as well as our YouTube page as well. Uh, yeah, I mean – as it goes down, you know, some some personal highlights for me, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know that any that that say, man, you, you definitely can't miss this, but I think there's a couple opportunities for some good fights on here and a couple opportunities for people to to, uh, to make impressive performances, and that's what cards like this are all about. Uh, Marab Devalishvili, excuse me, uh, that's the, uh, the the guy that the Sarah Longo team is all uh, super excited about. Uh, he's fighting Frankie Sign, so we'll see how that goes. Carl John de Tomas, of course, the one that missed weight in his UFC debut and then was told today that he couldn't make weight again. So that's kind of bizarre. Uh, Got to think he's in a must-win situation or he won't be invited back. He's facing uh, Alex Perez, who actually uh, lives just down the road, like 20 minutes down the road in Lemoore, California. Uh, Luke Sanders versus Andre Sukumtash, uh, good fight as well. Uh, Yuri Akintara versus uh, Alejandro Perez. Chris Gutzumacher versus Davi Ramos. Trevin Giles versus Antonio Braga Neto rounds things out. So definitely the big three at the top is what you can't miss. But, hey, man, there's always surprises on these undercards. And that's why I like these cards. I love it when we see breakout performances, good you know, good fights that make you want to keep your eye on somebody new. So that's what we'll be looking out for. And uh, that's what I'll save you the time of. You don't have to watch all that. I'll watch it, and I'll be sure and tell you which ones you need to be watching out for moving forward um listen one more thing that uh i don't even know if i'm supposed to necessarily know about this so to speak or uh be aware of it but it just kind of fell into my hands and since it fell into my hands and that means it falls into your hands um but uh this past week uh both edson barbosa and uh 
um, Mark Diacasey were brought to Las Vegas to put on a presentation for the folks of Amazon. Amazon, uh, as I understand it, Amazon was having a big uh, conference in Las Vegas. Um, and it certainly was not centered around this. It was centered around a ton of stuff. Um, and I, I, I don't know exactly, you know, the numbers and who was here, but I was actually told from somebody that works in the, uh, the uh, uh, hospitality industry down there on the Strip that, you know, there were thousands and thousands of people here. So anyway, but an interesting move, Endeavor put on a presentation or was part of a presentation, I should say, about technology and sports. And uh, the UFC is going to play a role in this. And Edson Barbosa and Mark Diacasey, were there for this, and uh, it ties in because I didn't realize it was moving this quickly. The Nevada State Athletic Commission hearing next Tuesday um, has a an item on there, um, and I'll just read it to you exactly what it says. Uh, hearing on request by promoter Zufa LLC to utilize glove centers on contestants competing at the December 30th, 2017 UFC event at the T-Mobile Arena for possible action. So these are top-of-the-line sensors um, that are going to measure things like uh, speed, velocity, impact. Um, there is a whole host of things that these things can potentially measure. And I was sent um, a copy of the presentation. And there is a lot of stuff in here that is well over my head. And I don't even know if I'm supposed to have this, to be honest with you. But I do. And since I do, that means you do. Um, so check this out. This is uh, future cutting-edge stuff uh, that is potentially, well, not potentially, that is uh, involving the UFC. And uh, I don't know. Tell me what you think. There is, uh, there's no better person to actually demonstrate this to us than uh, Mati Kochavi, who is the uh, CEO and co-founder of uh, AGT Heat, that will give us an amazing demo of sensors, machine learning, and real humans. Mati. Stories. People have been telling stories since our early days. Stories are part of our ancient society and our modern society. The person who was painting on the wall of the cave, or the person who is using the most sophisticated software machine to create an image, both are members of the same tribe the tribe of storytellers. This tribe of storytellers is an, an endless search of telling stories in new ways. Today, we all join this journey. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. It's time! Today, we're here with UFC superstars Edson Jr. Barboza and Mark Bonecrusher Jacasey. It's early round three of five here in Las Vegas. Nice flurry of punches from Jacasey. This is Sports Tomorrow. Deep, deep analysis ranks these fighters as two of the most explosive fighters in the UFC. Ooh, right hook from Barboza. Barboza's glove sensor measures a force of 7.2 of 10. Pete has Jacasey wavering. He looks strong, Pete. Jacasey's left cheek impact detected at 8 of 10, a hard punch. Jacasey's agitation is higher than UFC average for that impact. Jacasey is 
smiling. Look at that. He's taunting Barboza, but Barboza's all business. Don't get confused with his smile. Heed's emotional analysis shows a different perspective. Barboza is confident, while Jack Casey is passive. Octagon floor sensor measures Barboza's energy up 18%. Jacasey down 10%. All locked up here, Heed. Jacasey aggression index is rising fast. Expect a shift soon. Great sweep by Barboza. Jacasey's back up. He's got his leg lands a few punches. The global audience shifts to Jacasey. Back and forth. England is with Jacasey while Brazil is pulling hard for their Barboza. While local audience stays with Barboza. Both are strong. Both are strong. They are bringing it. This is tremendous, what a fight. Both fighters are gaining confidence. Wow, double 360 from Barboza, Jacasey blocks, oh! What a kick by Jacasey, wow, spectacular. And that's the end of round three. Now for the inside story with Heed. Heed has the indices adding up even. While Barboza's punishment index tops at 8.9, Jacasey's aggression index is all the way at 8.7. Historical fight analytics says we're in for a four-round even fight, Gary. You heard it from Heed. Invite your friends. We're in for an exciting night. What an amazing fight. Barbosa is from Brazil. Jacasey is from England. They just performed a scripted fight, but they are about the real thing. Those guys stand on the octagon in the most toughest, demanding sports in the world, the UFC. What you also saw is how we want to tell sports. What you've seen right now is a two minutes of a UFC fight where 70 new insights we were introduced during that fight. Those insights are covering entire aspects of the fight of Jacasey and Barbosa. They cover their passion, they cover the power of the fight, they cover the resiliency, they cover the strategy. All those things happen on the octagon. Shouldn't we tell story of sport that way? Shouldn't sport be told in real time with real data, the real information, the real data, the real insights, and the real emotions. That's what you saw on the big screens, and we're also going to show you how it's going to look today on the smartphone. We are a company which is trying to revolutionize the way we're going to tell sports and live events. So first, who are we? We are a partnership between two companies. AGT International, which is my company, which was building such solutions for the industry, and Endeavor, which is a WME, IMG company, headed by Ari. Ari, will you please stand up? Headed by Ari Emanuel, who is one of the well-known people in the industry. WME, IMG, is the largest entertainment and sports and fashion organization in the world. Together, we envisioned this story, how to tell the world with Internet of Things, sports and entertainment. So how do we create 70 insights in two minutes, insights that have not been seen before? It all starts with this. It starts with the data that we collect from sensors. If you would see up there what we have right now, we have a camera which has on top of it very smart uh, analytics on the edge. The mat that you see over here is a very smart mat. It can manage movement, analyze pressure, 
analyze so many things. This mat and the camera are connected to the same center. We also have uh, Thomas, Dr. Thomas Bader. We also have the glove, which is a smart glove. And inside this glove, we have this sensor. This sensor alone can create about 12 different stories. And the stories are from the strength of the punch all the way to the impact the punch had on the other fighter. Very sophisticated stuff. The glove is connected to the mat. It's connected to the camera. We are agnostic to sensors. Our philosophy, a sensor is a storyteller, and it's a great storyteller if it has very good analytics connected to it. So we deal with any sensors. We are covered with thousands of sensors. Over here in this UFC fight, we covered ourselves with audio and video and the things that I just described. Now, all this, those sensors create data which is flowing up into what we call our world graph. Our world graph is the centerpiece of our product. And actually, it's where everything is happening on top of it. The world graph is the semantic representation of the physical world and the entities participating in it. And the physical world over here was the UFC fight. And the entities were, of course, the two fighters, Jacquees and Barbosa. Usually the other entities are gonna be the cornermans, which some of us relate to them as coach. Each team has about three cornermen. And it's gonna be the referee. And of course, it's gonna be the physical entities, such as the octagon. And it's gonna be a, the non-abstract entity, which is gonna be the fight itself. All those are entities that are on the world graph. The world graph knows everything about those entities, their properties, their dynamics, their complex behavior. The world graph also knows about the relationship between the entities, because we wanna tell a story. We are not about statistics of the fight, we are about the story of the fight. So the world graph knows things like the connection between the fighter and between his coach. The world graph is also covering the historical behavior of the fighters, so we know what they've been doing in the past. So what we have on the world graph in real time is the information which comes with the sensors that describe to us the fight, and we have the historical data. On top of the world graph, we have our AI agent. There is a way I want you to think about it. Think about a robot that sits right now in every sport event in the world. Think that robot is connected to sensors that I just told you. And that robot has one mission, is to be able to provide to each one of you what you want to know about the sport event, even if you're not there. So the AI agent that we have that run, runs on top of the world graph is looking at the world graph and is asking questions. What's interesting, what's important, and what's fun so I can be able to provide this information in a cool way to my audience and to my fans. And that's what the AI agent is doing. Extremely sophisticated agent. 
And what he also knows is, he knows what each one of us would like to get. It might be that I would like to get the emotional part of the fight, and someone wants to get the, to know about the physical part of the fight. So he's going to be able also to understand what each one of us wants and to pick from the fight that we saw right now and from the 70 analytics to send it to the relevant people and whatever they want to see. Ladies and gentlemen, we are focused about telling a new way to tell sports and live events in a new way, to bring it to it passion, to show it in real time, to bring the same energy that you have in the game, to have it right now in the information that you get. And all of this is in order to serve you. I hope you're going to be on our platform and really enjoy it. Thank you very much. So, yeah, a bunch of stuff that's kind of over my head, way smarter than me. Uh, but some pretty cool stuff in there. Some pretty cool stuff in there. I mean, the the, uh, the UFC will be part of this kind of futuristic technology. We'll see how it's applied. We'll see, you know, how it shows up on the broadcast. I mean, I got to think this first time around will be kind of a test session, and we probably won't see any of the numbers at all from it, but uh, kind of see what they do with this. I mean, uh, to, to, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of funny because, you know, we have all these advanced level stats now in other sports, and it looks like it'll be part of the UFC as well. Um, at the end of the day, man, you get punched in the mouth. It doesn't matter what the stats say, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what they say about velocity and speed and fatigue and, uh, you know, all these things. You get hit on the button, you get hit on the button. But I don't know. It could be some interesting stuff. You know, what's the reaction time? What's the impact speed? What's the impact power? What's, you know, statistically, it could be kind of some fun stuff to track. So. Um, I don't know, I'm kind of interested to see how it all pans out. So anyway, like I said, I, I don't know if that was ready for public consumption, but hey, I got it, so you got it. <laughs> all right, USC Fight Night 123. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get all this over to cold coffee. He's going to edit together. We'll be at the, uh, or I will be at the weigh-ins, I should say, in the morning. No ceremonial weigh-ins in the afternoon, so we'll have everything. Uh, we will, I would guess, probably be the only live stream of it. Um, and then, of course, we'll have highlights and photos of everything afterwards. Um yeah, we'll have all that in Made Junkie because that's what we do. And then, uh, God willing, <laughs> we'll do a little and a half, assuming we don't get a Sydney card. <laughs> Hopefully we don't. Hopefully we get something fun to talk about and, and we'll get together and uh, talk about some MMA one more time this weekend before I head back to Las Vegas. So uh, stay tuned for all that. In the meantime, of course, especially when it's just me because I know I've, I've, I've got to get boring. Thanks for listening. We'll